chapter 5. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5, and as we begin this morning, let's just start from verse 12. It says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest durst uh, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Insomuch they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least uh, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came out also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and with them were vexed, sorry, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed <clears throat> thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the freedom we have to come together as a, a body of believers and to, to worship you. And Lord, today as we continue our study in the book of Acts, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, be honoured, you would be glorified, Lord, that you would give me wisdom and guidance now as I speak. The Lord, it would be your words, be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would take your word and apply it to each of our hearts this morning where we... Uh, leave this place, Lord, singing your praises and, and giving all glory back unto you. Praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Verses 12 to 16 here, what we have is a quick overview of how the church has continued on following uh, the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? We looked at uh, that event last week. We looked at Ananias and Sapphira and we looked at how they were deceived by Satan and then they tried to deceive the church by lying to the the church to make themselves look good. Okay, we said it was driven by pride. Okay, they to, they told this lie to the church. You know, and Satan sought to use them to bring disgrace upon upon the church. Satan used sought to use them to disrupt the ministry of the Lord. But we saw that God dealt with them very swiftly, very abruptly. God dealt with them as both of them dropped dead because of their sin. And what we find now in verses twelve to sixteen is that immediately following this, the church you know, has not let any of these events phase them. The church is still going on exactly as we've seen beforehand. Okay? We constantly find these little, um, little passages where what he does, is he sums up what's going on in the church, doesn't he? So it sums up the ministry going forward. Chapter 2, there was one. At the end of chapter 4, there's one. And now we have another one. And sort of Luke is pointing out to us that throughout all these things, nothing changes. The church continues going on for the Lord. The church is still unified. The church is still magnifying the, Lord, the name of the Lord. The church is still seeing men and women saved and added to the church. And on top of this, Luke tells us here that the apostles are performing great uh, miracles in the name of the Lord. You know, Christ has empowered them to do great signs and wonders, which we've talked about before. They were all about um, adding you know, weight to their ministry. It was God confirming that they were indeed sent by him, that their message was truth. And so all of this meant that the work of the law was being noised abroad more and more. You know, the, the apostles have been through a bit of tribulation. They've been, um, Peter and John have been put in prison and they've come out. They've had this turbulence in the church with Ananias and Sapphira. And throughout it all, what's happening is that the church is being magnified. The name of the Lord's being magnified. People are hearing about the work that's going on in Jerusalem. You know, Satan had tried to silence Peter and John by threatening them. Satan had tried to disrupt the work from within through Ananias and Sapphira. 
But, you know, through both of these attacks, the believers remained faithful to the Lord. It continued on for him. You know, that didn't mean that Satan was about to give up. No, Satan never does. It means Satan was about to give up. Rather, Satan was about to, you know, go a little bit harder at the church. You know, the persecution was quickly going to get much worse from this point onwards in the book of Acts. You know, the disciples' faith, sorry, faith was going to truly be tested. You know, in the rest of this chapter, in chapter 5, what we find is that all the apostles here are arrested and they're thrown into prison. They're persecuted for the name of Christ. Indeed, the apostles here experience what it means to partake in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. You know, Paul spoke about that, didn't he? He spoke about the fellowship of Christ's suffering. The apostles experience that here. They identify with Christ in this time of persecution, this time of suffering. So this morning I want us to consider the example of the apostles in the midst of this persecution. Notice firstly with me, if you would, that they suffered for him. They suffered for him. Verse 17, it says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, this section begins here in verse 17 with Luke telling us that the high priest and those that are with him, the Sadducees in particular are mentioned here, the high priest and the Sadducees are filled with indignation. Now, the word indignation here is the Greek word, which means with zeal. That's what the Greek word means, with zeal. And the word denotes any kind of further, any kind of uh, warmth that may be applied to any sort of passion. Okay, any sort of affection of the mind. And so it can be a violent affection or it can be a warm and loving affection. It can be envy, wrath, or zeal and love. Okay, it can be a good thing or a bad thing, this word. And so it's important for us to determine what kind of passion this word is talking about. And the only way we can do that is by looking at the context. And in this case, the word is being used, speaking about the fact that these, that the high priest, sorry, and the Sadducee, they were filled with envy and wrath towards the apostles. That's the idea of this word, indignation here. They were filled with zeal against the apostles. Envy and wrath. You know, they were envious because of the success of the, of the apostles. You know, they, they were envious that these untrained, unlearned, ignorant men could have such success with the people. You know, we saw that when they brought Peter and John before them last time. They accused them of this very thing, being Ignorant, unlearned men. They couldn't stand that these men were seeing such flocks come to listen to them, hear them teach. They were envious of the apostles. You know, they were also angry as well. There was wrath. You know, they were angry because the apostles had defied the law of the land. You know, remember in chapter 4, Peter and John had been commanded to stop preaching and teaching in the name of the Lord. The Sanhedrin had commanded them. You know, they totally disregarded this command. Why? Because it was against God's will. And so they ignored the command of the, the Sanhedrin and they continued to preach in the name of the Lord. And this infuriated the leaders. They were furious with them. The Sadducees in particular were furious because the doctrine that the apostles were preaching was against what they believed. The apostles were preaching that Christ had risen again and that through him all shall rise. You know, and the Sadducees saw that as a direct attack against their doctrine. And so they were, in particular, furious with the apostles. 
You know, for all these reasons here, we see the high priests and the Sadducees are filled with indignation against the apostles. And we read in verse 18 that they go and they arrest the apostles and they throw them in jail. Verse 18 says, And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. And so full of indignation, they go down themselves and they lay hands on the apostles and they take them to the prison. You know, the important thing to note here is that, you know, we don't read of the apostles here resisting arrest, do we? We don't read of the apostles fighting back. We don't read of them organizing a protest. No, we see that they quietly went with the authorities, didn't they? They quietly went with the authorities to the common jail. The point here is that they knew who they were suffering for, didn't they? That's why they could go quietly, because they knew they were suffering for the name of Christ. They were suffering in His name. The words of Christ were now being fulfilled in them. Turn back to Luke 21 with me. Luke 21 and verse 12. It says, But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Sell it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give your mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Verse 12 in particular, it talks about Christ said they will be persecuted. They will be delivered up before the magistrates. They will be thrown into prisons for his name's sake. Christ had said this would happen and they understood that what was happening to them now was the fulfillment of this. They understood that they were suffering for his name's sake. What was happening to them was because of their faithfulness to the Lord. That's why the religious leaders were full of indignation, wasn't it? They were full of indignation because the apostles were being successful doing the Lord's will. They were full of indignation because the apostles weren't obeying them. They wouldn't stop. They didn't like the apostles' doctrine. You know, the apostles understood they were suffering for him. And beloved, you know, when we stand and we faithfully preach and teach, when we faithfully witness for the Lord, there will come opposition. You know, that opposition, I'm sure, is going to get much worse in the years ahead. It's going to get much worse than it is today. We're going to experience it in this country. The opposition will come. But you know, like the disciples, like the apostles, we must remember who we are suffering for. We must remember who it is that we are serving and that it is for His name's sake. You know, when we understand that, it helps us to respond in the right way, doesn't it? When we understand that we're suffering for His name's sake, it helps us to respond with a godly testimony to Him, like the apostles, trusting in Him, relying upon Him. Turn to 1 Peter 2 with me. 1 Peter 2, verse 20. It says, For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if, when you do well, 
and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Now Christ is our example of how we should suffer for him, isn't it? Christ suffered patiently. He was reviled and reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. And beloved, if we remember when we suffer that we're suffering for his name, that we can bear it patiently, trusting in him, and this glorifies him. As it says there in verse 20, this is what glorifies God when we're suffering for his name's sake and we take it patiently, we bear it patiently for him. Secondly, here we see not only did they suffer for him, but they were encouraged by him. They were encouraged by him. Look in verse 19. It says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now, having been thrown into prison for the night, we find in verse 9 they weren't there very long. Now, the Lord sends his angel to deliver them from prison, to bring them forth. Now, the apostles are in prison suffering for his sake. It's for his name that they're there. And the Lord now sends his angel to minister unto them, to encourage them in their labor for him. Now, that encouragement came, first of all, in the form of deliverance, didn't it? Now, I'm sure as they're in that prison and the angel unlocked the doors and came in, I'm sure they were encouraged. I'm sure their faith was strengthened in that moment. Now, what encouragement to know that God was in control. If any of them were beginning to waver, this strengthened their faith, didn't it? Seeing the Lord send his angel to deliver them. God was in control. To know that no, no prison could hold them. No locked door could keep them. If God wanted them there, he would leave them there to his glory. But if God wanted them out, God can bring them out. And that's the wonderful truth, isn't it? God is in control. And that's what God showed them here with his angel. He said, I'm in control. And on this occasion, he delivers them. He brings them forth immediately. You know, not only are they encouraged by the deliverance, but you know they're also encouraged by the words of the angel as well. Verse 20, it says, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. You know, the angel here gives them a fresh commission, doesn't he? A fresh commission, a fresh command from God to go and preach the gospel. And preach, not just anywhere, but back in the temple again. Go and preach in the temple. Now, the angel says, go and do exactly what you've been doing. They're not being delivered here to go on the run. They're not being delivered here to go underground. They're not being delivered here to go into hiding. They were being delivered and encouraged by God to go immediately back to preaching the words of this life. Now this life here, of course, refers to the new life that they now had in Christ Jesus, eternal life. That's what they were to preach about. Eternal life, the forgiveness of sin. Just turn quickly to 1 John 5. <clears throat> In 1 John 5 and verse 11, it says, 
And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. It's this life, it's the eternal life that God has given to us. That's what they were to go and preach. That's what they were to go back to the temple and teach. They were to go back and preach and teach the gospel message, eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, there can be no doubt here that this deliverance and this fresh commission encouraged the apostles in their ministry, encouraged them in their faith. You know, it would have given them renewed confidence as they went back to minister for the Lord. And beloved, we can be likewise sure that when we suffer for Him, we suffer for His name's sake, that He will encourage us. He will strengthen us. Now Hebrews 13 verse 5 alone is an encouragement. It says, He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That promise alone is an encouragement when we are suffering for Him. To remember that promise and know that He is right there beside us. And that if he wants to deliver us, he can. If he wants us to go through it, he'll bring us through it. God is in control. Now, we can be sure that he will encourage us. He will give us renewed strength to go on for him. Isaiah 40. Just turn there. Isaiah 40, verse 31. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If we patiently wait upon the Lord, patiently endure for Him, He will strengthen us. He will renew our strength so that we continue to go on for Him. He will encourage us like He encouraged the apostles. Thirdly here we see that they were devoted to Him. They were devoted to Him. Verse 21 of Acts 5, verse 21, it says, And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. For the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found was shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened... We found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard <coughs> these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. You know, having been encouraged by the Lord through the angel, we now see the apostles obey the word of the Lord and they go immediately back the temple and they immediately start preaching and teaching again it's the start of verse 21 it's a wonderful sentence it says and when they heard that they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught they don't even take a break they immediately go back to doing what god has commanded them to do you see the apostles here showed their complete devotion to the lord they heard the words of the angel and they obeyed now there was no desire here to run no desire to go their own way. No one putting up their hands saying, Lord, I want to change my profession. I want to change my ministry. I want to do something else. They simply had one thing in mind as they left that prison. And that was, let's get back to work. Let's get back to doing the will of the Lord. You know, they didn't even seek to change locations. 
You know, they didn't go and find somewhere else that maybe the priest wouldn't find them. They go straight back to the temple, the very place where they knew they would be seen. They knew they would be probably arrested quickly again and they commenced preaching the word. Why? Because they were devoted to the Lord. He was their Lord. He was their master and nothing was going to stop them from doing God's will. Now in verse 21, we find that while they're preaching, while they're doing the Lord's will, we find that the high priest calls for them to be brought before the council so they can judge them. Verse 21, it says, And while they heard, when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. And so they're in the temple preaching and teaching, and the Sanhedrin's getting together to judge them. You know, let's bring them from the prison and let's have a session of courts. Of course, when they send to the prison, they find it to be empty. We read it before, but verse 22, it says, But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. You know, we can only imagine the face of the high priest and the Sadducees as these soldiers come back and they say, they're not there. They're gone. You know, we found the prison all locked up, the guards still there, but within there was no one. You can imagine face as they hear this news. But, you know, greater still would have been to see their face as they find out where the apostles are. Verse 25, it says, Then came one and told them, saying, Hold, the men whom you put into prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. What boldness. What boldness. The testimony the apostles had here before the people, before the religious leaders. You know, everyone looking on was well aware of where their devotion lied. No one was questioning, saying, oh, I wonder who they're loyal to. Everyone knew where their devotion lied. Everyone knew that they were devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one could question that. And I wonder, do we have that same kind of devotion to the Lord? Now, He is our Lord and Master, but how often do we let one little bit of opposition change our approach? How often do we let one little bit of opposition silence us? Beloved, that should not be the case. Rather like the apostles, when those times of hardship, opposition, persecution come, our devotion to the Lord should be more evidence. It should be more clearly seen. People ought to look at us and see clearly that he is Lord of our life and nothing, nothing man can do unto us will stop us from serving him. The desire to please the Lord ought to be the overriding passion in our lives. You know, Paul spoke of this kind of passion, this kind of devotion. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> In Philippians 1 and verse 20, it says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For Paul, there was one sole purpose in life, and that was Christ. Christ was his devotion. Christ was his passion. He was going to honor and serve the Lord in everything he did. And nothing was going to stop that devotion. You know, we see that devotion in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. That's the passage that talks about all the things Paul went through, all the suffering, all the persecution he went through for Christ. None of those things stopped Paul, did they? None of those things stopped him from serving the Lord. Beloved, we need that same kind of devotion. You know, when Christ is our passion, when we are devoted to him, it will then be clearly evident to everyone around us. It will be a great testimony like the apostles' boldness, like the apostles' devotion. Others will see Christ in us. I wonder, do we have that same devotion, that passion for the Lord? Fourthly, we see here that they were fearless for him. They were fearless for him. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 5, it says, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did, we, uh, did not we straightly command you that you should, teach, should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. You know, the apostles weren't free from jail very long. Verse 26 tells us that upon hearing where the apostles are, the, the Sanhedrin sends the captain of the temple and the officers to arrest them. And so the apostles are quickly arrested and they're quickly brought before the Sanhedrin to be questioned. And we see in verse 27 and 28 that the high priest questions them. Verse 27 it says, And when they brought them, they sent them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Now the high priest says, Didn't we tell you to stop doing this? Didn't we tell you to stop preaching in the name of Christ? And why do you continue to stir up strife? That's basically what he says here. You see, as far as the Sanhedrin was concerned, that's what the apostles were doing. They were stirring up strife. They couldn't stand that the apostles wouldn't obey them. They couldn't stand the apostles' doctrine. In verse 29, we see the boldness or the fearlessness of the apostles as they answer the Sanhedrin. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. You know, they boldly declare here. And so you want to know why we didn't obey you? The reason is because we ought to obey God rather than men. But we saw the same answer from Peter and John the first time, didn't we? In Acts chapter 4, that's the exact same answer they gave. We ought to obey God rather than men. The point is, the apostles haven't changed their conviction here, have they? Their conviction through this suffering has remained the same. God's will is first. 
In spite of everything that's taken place, they remain fearless before these men determined to obey God rather than men. But not only do they answer the question as to why they haven't obeyed, you know, then they go on to boldly once again declare the gospel. To boldly declare unto the religious leaders, yes, you are guilty of crucifying the Messiah. You know, they also tell them that God hath raised him back to life. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged him on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and saviour for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And tell them, yes, you're, you are guilty of killing the Messiah, but there is forgiveness through the Messiah, through Christ. Forgiveness of sins through this one that Christ, uh, that God hath raised back to life, his son. You know, the point here is that throughout all their conviction and their message has stayed the same, hasn't it? It hasn't changed. None of this suffering has moved them anywhere. Their conviction is still the same. Obey God before men. Their message is still the same. Christ is the son of God. He died to take away the sins of the world. And he's risen again. You know, they boldly declare the truth before the Sanhedrin. You know, they were not afraid here to point out the Sanhedrin's need. The Sanhedrin were sinners. And they needed Christ. And they weren't afraid to point that truth out to them. And beloved, we need that same kind of fearlessness, that same kind of boldness to stand up for Christ. To be fearless in declaring the truth of the gospel. To be fearless in our convictions for him. Now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul declares that we must not be terrified by our adversaries. Just turn to Philippians 1. In Philippians 1, verse 28, it says, And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of position, but to you of salvation and that of God. It says, And nothing terrified by your adversities. You know, we're not to fear men. We're not to let the fear of men stop us from doing the will of God. Rather, we ought to fear God rather than men, as the apostles answered the Sanhedrin. Now, Hebrews 13, just turn there, Hebrews 13, verse 5. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for, you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men shall do unto me. Now Hebrews 13 here declares that because we know God is with us, we have nothing to fear. We can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men would do unto me. And beloved, that's why the apostles could have such fearlessness, isn't it? Because they understood that God was with them. They'd just seen God encourage them. They'd just seen God bring them forth from the prison. They knew God was with them. And so with fearlessness, they could stand before the Sanhedrin. And beloved, we serve the same God, do we not? The exact same God that they serve. And he is still with us today. Let us serve him with boldness. Let us be fearless for Christ. Lastly, here we see that they were joyful in him. They were joyful 
in him. From verse 33, <clears throat> it says, When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of, of the law, had a rep reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. Before these days rose up Thutis, um, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel, all this work of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles they, and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You know, upon hearing the testimony of the apostles here, the reaction of the Sanhedrin is, let's put them to death. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to kill the apostles. But, you know, Gamaliel here, which is Paul's teacher, Gamaliel stands up and he counsels them not to put them to death. He says, don't put them to death because, you know, as far as he was concerned, their work was not of God. That's the reason for his counsel here. That we shouldn't give him too much praise. Okay, Gamaliel here, he basically says, they're not of God and therefore it's going to come to nothing. It's not going to last. You see, he was confident that like others who'd gone before them, who stirred up strife, that this would peter out, that this would not last. And the Sanhedrin, they listened to his counsel and instead of killing the apostles, they beat them and they threatened them. And that's verse 40. It says, And to him they agreed, and when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded, should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. You must understand here, this was no light beating. Okay, this was a whipping. This is a scourging. 39 lashes. This is similar to what Christ suffered before he went to the cross. The apostles here suffered for the cause of, of Christ. You know, this was a true test of their faith, true test of their commitment to the Lord. How do we find them responding? Verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You know, they left rejoicing. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for him. You know, only those who are truly walking in the Spirit can react like this to persecution. Only those who are truly walking with the Lord in a close relationship with Him can react this way when suffering comes. You see, they counted it a privilege to be associated with Christ. Even if that meant suffering shame for Him. Beloved, I wonder... I wonder, would we have the same reaction as the apostles? Would we react like they did? Would we with joy rejoice in the Lord? Now, the truth is that only when we are walking in the spirits 
Only when we are walking in a right relationship with him will we be able to react like the apostles. It doesn't just happen in our own strength. It happens from the spirit within. The spirit gives us that strength. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're almost finished this morning. 1 Peter 4. First Peter 4 and verse 12. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. You know, Peter tells us here that we can rejoice in trials because it glorifies him. Rejoice in trials when we are approached for the name of the Lord because it brings glory and honor to him. Beloved, like the apostles, we ought to count it a privilege to suffer for his name. That should be our reaction. When suffering comes, our reaction should be to rejoice. We're counted worthy to suffer for him, to suffer reproach for his name. You know, following this persecution, where do we find the apostles? Verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing to end the, end the chapter with? Through all this, where do they go? Straight back to the temple. Straight back to preaching and teaching. You know, the apostles were not moved. They were not shaken. They just continued faithfully to serve the Lord. They're not jumping up and down shouting about it, are they? They're continually, faithfully serving the Lord. They've got their nose down and they're just doing the Lord's will. In spite of the opposition. And beloved, in the apostles here, we have a wonderful example of what it means to partake in the fellowship of his sufferings. And beloved, there will be times when we likewise will be called upon to suffer reproach for the cause of Christ. Let's pray that God would give us the strength to remain faithful to him as the apostles did. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for passages like this which give us great examples, Lord, Lord, the suffering the apostles went through even in early days of the church. And Lord, their reaction and their faithfulness to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church. Help us as individuals, Lord, to daily serve you faithfully, Lord. And when opposition comes, Lord, help us just to faithfully keep serving you. Trusting in you, knowing you're in control, rejoicing in you. Knowing that it's for your name that we suffer reproach. Lord, may you... Help us to remember these things in the days and the years ahead. And we just keep our focus upon you. Rejoicing in you, we pray in Jesus' name.